Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new 2 for $5 chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy is it sweet. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Folks, basketball predictably is very good. And what a time of the year to be a basketball fan. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. And there's nobody that I would rather talk about it with than uh, the Texas Titan of basketball thinking the sharpest mind in the in the Southwest. Southwest? Sort of Southwest. Dallas's own Jonathan Charks. John, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, we are the Southwest for sure. I mean, I think yeah. Texas claims that. You're kind of in the middle, right? But I guess you guys kind of claim the middle and the west. It's it's both. It's a big state. Really, it's just Texas its own thing. But like Southwest Airlines, based in Texas, true. you know all that. Southwest, right? That's your favorite airline, right? You've told me that in the past. Shout out Companion Pass. <laughs> well, how you been feeling, man? Give us give us an update. Feeling good. I've been enjoying the finals. It's been fun doing little finals, little draft stuff. Yeah. What's your kind of general vibe on the before we get into the draft stuff? I mean, the finals are I don't know somewhat important, somewhat important to like what this is all about and contextualize it, I guess. What's your general read on the, on the finals? And has it changed at all? I mean, somewhat important to the ringer, right? And various personalities associated with the ringer. <laughs> <laughs> so we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. Uh, game three will be tonight. I like Boston coming in. I think the key for me is going to be is Jalen Brown. I think as Brown goes, the Celtics going to go in the series. And you look at, so game one, Brown was 10 for 23 with five assists. They win pretty comfortably. Game two, Brown was five for 17. They lose. And the big adjustment was they had Clay Thompson on Jalen Brown in game one. And I remember thinking, I don't think that matchup can work. So they switched Draymond Green to Brown in game two. I thought that was the big adjustment. And that's all I'll be watching tonight is can Brown get going against Draymond? And I think as that matchup goes, the series will go. Do you think that uh, quickly too on this, you mentioned something about how they were the Warriors. This was over the phone, but you mentioned how the Warriors were going to kind of like 
with their veteranness and just the way that they play, that they were going to maybe switch to mucking it up a little bit, using their kind of veteran dark arts. Do you still believe that? And and is there enough of that? Like if the teams played straight up, you know, if the teams play straight up and there's none of that stuff present in the games, like you said on paper, Boston really projects favorably, and and that played out. And I, I mean, I think the way they played Horford too in game two was really critical. They didn't really just like let him play off the catch with no pressure at all. Can the Warriors play straight up, and and how much of that veteran kind of griftiness is going to work? Do you think? I mean, I think that's what makes the series kind of compelling. Is it's like it really feels like a generational battle in a way. Like I was telling you, it kind of reminded me of Mavs Heat back in the day, where the Mavs played so much zone, and it was it was like a YMCA game. Like we can't beat you running and gunning. We got to slow it down, muck it up, and out execute you. Kind of feels like that for Golden State. It was funny before Game Two. I was watching Cars Three with my son. Have you seen Cars Three? Well, around our house, it's the Cars. Cars Three. I, I wanted to give you. Well, go ahead and make your point about Cars. I, I have a couple quick Cars takes that I didn't have in the past, but you go. You go ahead first. We call it the Kais. We go okay. Kais. The Kais. Right. Well, Cars Three is all about how Lightning McQueen. It's like the last Cars movie. He's much older now. And there's a whole new generation of race cars on the track. Jackson Storm. And, I, and he has to like learn how to compete with a whole new, like these people who grew up watching Lightning, and now they've kind of gone past Lightning, like Jackson Storm. Yeah. And then I remember watching that and then watching the game, and I'm like, man, Clay is Lightning McQueen right now. All these, wow. young, these young cars are just zooming by him. He's got to figure out a whole new way to play. He's got to go to the beach and train with uh, with Cruz Ramirez and all that stuff. Yes. I was gonna say, yeah, uh, I was gonna say, Cars One, tolerable. I I enjoy it. It's 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 fine. You know, like we can we can get through it. It's an interesting story. Cars Two just goes totally off the rails. Yeah, that's like, ridiculous. What in the world is going on? Like from from the first frame, they were just like, here's a totally different premise. And then what's really strange to me about the end of Cars Two is they go into this like big oil lecture at the end. Have, have you ever paid attention? It's like, yes. so how did it get through all the eye, the eyes? There's at one point a character pointedly says, that's big oil for you. I was like, in no Disney movie in history has that ever happened. It was like very Fern Gully. We're going to pound you over the head with a mallet with this agenda. Whether I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with it there. I'm just saying no comment there. But it's like really, really a ridiculous movie. But they redeemed themselves with, with Cars 3 for sure. And I, I agree. That's been kind of a theme of the playoffs in general. Like we, we talked about how like uh, the, the generation, there was that one weekend where it felt like the generation gap shifted. I think it was in the first round. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. It's weird to be in this position with the Warriors where – they in the past have been the we're going to dance around you Muhammad Ali type opponent where they were like, we're going to be able to look pretty and still kick your ass. And for them to be in this situation where they're going to have to go to the other methods of like things that we just haven't expected from them in the past, you know, the, like the Cavs in 2015 and were able to do all that stuff and kind of get under the Warriors skin and make it ugly. But uh, the Warriors now are kind of having to resort to some of those things. Yeah, it actually kind of reminds me a bit of the uh, Warriors-Thunder series in 2016. When, like, the, the Thunder were the more athletic team. And that's when you kind of saw Draymond just pull out all the stops to, like, kind of junk up the game to win. And then in game two, you know, he's like, he literally tackled Grant Williams at one point. It was like, come on, <laughs> what are we doing here? They're made for each other. Those two are just made for each other. I would watch I would watch a documentary just those two trapped with each other. 
I don't know. Quickly, what's your take on like players podcasting after games? Have you have you found that interesting or consumed any of that content? You know, I I only consume the Ringers content, Kyle. What kind of question is that? You're right, man. I, who has bandwidth for anything else? Because that's there's enough here. You know, you could it's a one stop shop. I was gonna say too. Do you think there's any kind of like 4D chess going on? Because I caught myself seeing the Draymond stuff and being like, what is he doing? Like, I was like, why are you getting, I, I totally took the bait and was like, why are you getting on, immediately getting on and doing a podcast after the game? Do you think Draymond is that much of a like galaxy brain thinker about this kind of thing? Or is it is it totally independent of that? Like, did, did it have any relationship to the way the game played out? I think he probably just likes creating content. I mean, you get it. You know, it's, it's a, it's, you start scratching that itch. You just kind of create content. It's kind of like, you know how Bill likes to do podcasts for the games? He gets so excited. This is Draymond. He just, you caught the bug. The content bug. He's got the bug. It's like, uh, yeah. Anyway, this time of year, there's there's enough content for all sides of it. You know, if you really just want to watch the games, if you're just into that, the events themselves are really interesting and obviously really fun and things we remember and talk about for decades in some cases. And also on the other end of it, if you're a hardcore nerd and you're looking towards the future, there's a lot for you to get into. This is a thing, a lot of the time, we are into the draft, specifically is what I'm talking about, obviously. Using where we are and projecting where we're going to be and figuring out who's going to be a star based on the playoffs and things like that. You and I have talked about that a lot. These are things that we like to talk about year-round, right? And not the whole mainstream discussion kind of shifts its way towards the draft at this time of the year. And one of uh, the more interesting cases, you and I have ad nauseum talked about the top three in this draft, you know, with Chet, who we both kind of have at the top, with Paolo Bancaro from Duke and with Jabari Smith. Another guy that kind of, if he had played, I would say he was one of the candidates to be in that conversation at the very top is uh, Shaden Sharp. Uh, what's your familiarity with Shaden Sharp? What 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 has it been like recently for you in relation to him? So I've had to, like most people, I've had to catch up on him. I don't normally watch much AAU ball, but so Sharp, he was the number one player in the class coming up, class of 23. He reclassifies, goes to Kentucky, which we'll get into in a second, and doesn't play at Kentucky in the spring semester and just sits out. And then no one... No one knew for sure if he would declare for the draft or stay and actually play at Kentucky. He declares for the draft. He's kind of become the mystery man. Everyone's trying to figure out what his deal is. He's really kind of the highest. It feels like anything that seems possible just because there's not a ton of information on him. So I've been doing the best I can to catch up. Obviously, you being at Kentucky, you kind of are on the ground of the Shaden Sharp experience. How mad are you? I guess let's start there. On a scale of one to ten, that he uh, kind of played Coach Cal. There are layers to this, you know. There, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like Adrian Brody in Succession, the way he dressed. I have not watched Succession. I'm, I have to turn my ringer card in for that one. Okay. Well, um, Sharp, you you describe the timeline. I think that's the most interesting thing. Sharp and Jabari Smith are like roughly the same age. They're like right at or a little beyond nineteen years old. Like you said, Sharp reclassed. There's a weird thing where if you go back and look, at, he's from a town called London in Ontario, Canada, which is like just on the other side of Lake Erie from like Cleveland. So it feels like he's from like the Willard. You know, whenever we think about Canada, I feel like we're just like up there. It's like there's a cabin and he's playing in the snow. It's like, no, it's pretty close to Cleveland. He, he is from there. The timeline is he comes down and plays at Sunrise Christian, which is like a prospect factory out in like Bel Air, Kansas. A lot of good players have played there. 
Um, Grady Dick, a guy that's going to be playing at Kansas this coming year, played there. He he goes from there. Is kind of in a, a like a lesser role. Doesn't really. It takes him a while to get going. Um, doesn't really become a main contributor. Transfers again to a place called Dream City Prep in Glendale, Arizona, and he's immediately on the ball. So, like in Canada, he was known as like a, a top player. Played for the U16 national team back in 2019. With a like, if you go back and watch that, we we were talking about this. The the U16 championship game between the U.S. and Canada was hilariously loaded with prospects. It was like Jalen Duran. It was uh, Andrew Nimhard is in there. But he goes there and he takes off. So he plays He plays his high school year with Dream City. He's way more on the ball. Important to note, too, is like the COVID stoppage in 2020. He apparently goes in uh, and, and improves a lot. And we'll talk more about that. But he, he goes from like not in the top 150 to like in the 50s to he plays a just literally a couple events and he goes to number one. And that's kind of an important point, too, is... He basically, he had one weekend at, at Peach Jam last summer. And he goes from like, a oh, he's a really good prospect to this is the guy. He kind of had his ascension at this one tournament in Atlanta. And he becomes the number one player in his class. And he just kind of elevates immediately. Like it was like a skyrocket for him. And that's kind of why he's been so hard. People have been catching up on him because he wasn't like number one his whole high school career. He comes to number one in a flash, basically. Yeah, it's a very short amount of time. It's basically two or three tournaments. There's another tournament that that is interesting called the Grind Session that they do, and um, and a lot of good players have played in that. Ty Ty Washington played in that at one point. It's pretty deep cut nerdy stuff. But Shaden also was like incredible during that tournament. Um, but during the EYBL thing, he's extremely on the ball. I mean, a lot, a lot of the, his like ascension was driven by the fact that he's like coming up and like playing with pace and like creating his own shot from three, getting to the rim. And for people, the kind of the rundown here, I guess we, sh- we should start from here. And we'll talk about Kentucky in that situation in, in, in a minute because I wanted to give this sort of like forecast or just extra info here. Sharp is six, five and a half inch shoes. He's like pretty built. He has sort of like prototypical combo lead guard wing size you know for the nba sort of built a little bit like beal physically he is like the the exact same size as shea gilgis alexander actually same same length of arms same size hands same height but plays a little different obviously but he he projects as somebody he has like a, a 40 43 to 45 inch vertical monster athlete so he goes to Kentucky. He decides he goes back to Dream City in the fall, actually, and and it's like he's a little old. He's too old to be there. So he's actually the right age for this draft, but he doesn't play at Kentucky. And the moment that he reclassed, to answer your question about how mad am I, the moment he reclassed, I feel like most most every Kentucky fan was like, he's never going to play here. Like we knew that like once mm. they accelerated that timeline, he came and the and the team was doing pretty well at that point and. I don't know. I, I wasn't mad because I just never take with these players when it comes to the draft. I've told you this before. I never take what they say seriously because when the when the money's on the line, they're gonna go if they can go. In my experience. Okay, so you're not mad at all. Just wanted to just wanted no, to clear what? put the groundwork in. Like you're, you're, we're not mad. Here. Right, right, right. I know that. I know. I, I wanted to give that. Sorry for the monologue there, but I mean, I know I wasn't mad just because. I mean, you're disappointed. I I, I didn't. He wasn't my favorite player coming in. I don't know that he necessarily would have helped the team that much, like what they need. But no, I, w- I wasn't particularly mad about it. Okay, I have one more question. Do you think he watched the St. Peter's game and said, ah, what's going on here? Let me just go out and go to the NBA. 
what what about that game would have turned him off? Do you think? Because they and, I don't want to lose to a 15. Well, seed. they needed they needed a creator, so I guess I'm kind of reneging on what I said before. But people are intrigued by this guy because of the things that we described, the things that he flashed. Like he he kind of was a really limited ball ball handler. Like he could always kind of spot shoot when he was younger. But when he went in and like really, really worked out to improve his jump shot uh, or his his off the off the dribble jumper, that was when people were like, "This guy's going to be a serious player." Yeah, and I guess this is a good point to like get into his actual game. And this is where it gets complicated. And I think this is where like someone like me, I have to lean on you a little bit because there's plenty of film out there, and I've watched a lot of it. Like, it's not like there's no film of him playing high level competition. Like, he didn't play college. But he played a ton of high-level high school. He played for Team Canada. So I feel like, okay, I've watched enough now where I kind of have a decent enough feel for his game. What's hard for me is I don't have as much of a feel of the context of his game. And what I mean by that is so much of watching college is, okay, this player is at this point is progression. And you compare it to other players before. And you're like, okay, compared to this previous player, he was at this point in college. So this is kind of where it tells you, here's where he is as a passer. Here's where he is as a cutter. But since I don't watch a ton of AAU basketball, it's harder to know like whether his traits in those settings are meaningful or whether that setting is necessarily, it just comes with the territory. And what I mean by that is when you watch Sharp at the lower level at AAU, the big things that jump out, one, yes, one-on-one scoring. This guy, like he can get into his bag. He can raise up over anybody. He's got really deep range on his jumper. And he's a very good vertical athlete. So he can always get his own shot. That immediately stands out. For me, though, after that, what stood out was, well, he's not driving to pass. So once he put his head down, he was pretty much looking to shoot every single time. And it's funny. So you have a video coming out where you kind of get into this whole thing. It's like 15. It's a usual Kyle Mann encyclopedic video. It's 12. I cut it down. It was like 18. I cut it to 12. But what cracked me up is like, you show his passing. Like, well, he's shown flashes of passing. And I'm like, you literally used every single pass he made in some of these EYBL (laughs) games. And there's like 10 seconds. Like, that's all the passes he made are in your video. I was going way into the bag looking for, yeah, we were going deep, deep, deep cut looking for passes. So it was like, okay, so he's not passing very much. He's hardly ever moving off the ball. You kind of talk about where, okay, he's unplugged. He very much was like, all right, it's not my turn to score or I'm good then. I'll just stand over here. Don't worry about me. And then number three, he's not competing on defense. And now I sound like a 90-year-old man like ranting about AAU ball. And that's where I get like, I'm not sure yeah. what that means. Because right, it's nothing knocking all AAU balls. They don't pass. They don't cut. They don't compete. Yeah, I don't really know how to put that in context. Okay, let me let's go through this for people because a lot of the people that are going to be talking about Shaden Sharp are going to there are going to be levels to it. They're going to be the people who watch the EYBL games and like contextualize them correctly. If you if you just watch Shaden Sharp in the fall of 2021, which is when I told you he came back to Dream City. And he didn't need to be there. It's very obvious. Like if you if you watch his body language, he's annoyed with his teammates. There's a kid, Milos Yuzan, who's going to Oklahoma, who's a pretty decent prospect himself. Sharp is mad at him the entire time. You watch him; he's just like every because Yuzan can score and and can dribble, and Sharp is in with like this whole. And these schools turn over every year, so he had a whole new group of guys 
His body language was horrible. So they got him out of there. That was part of the equation. This is something key that I told you that I thought was interesting was you consider all those things like him being lethargic off ball, not competing all the time, not uh, on either end. I went back and found the footage. This was the Eureka moment that I had called you and I was like, oh, whoa. He's been digging in the crates, people. Kyle's yeah. been digging deep into the crates on this one. I kept this one to myself because you're always kind of looking for like an info edge. And I, I got down and I was like, let me see if I can find some of the footage from before he transferred high schools in Canada at his secondary school. So when he was like a sophomore. So I went and I found some and it was like, it was it was a eureka moment because when I was watching him, he was his activity and his motor was completely different. He's flying around on defense. You texted me back and was like, "Why did I just watch this? This was a waste of time." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no. It's not. He was dominating smaller players, but his motor was totally different. You saw him sprinting off the ball, and then when he transferred to Sunrise, what people need to understand is." This is sort of the, the, the push and pull of Shaden Sharp is how you decide to react to this information is going to decide wh what you feel about it. So he moves to Sunrise. He's off the ball. He doesn't. The other thing to know, too, is that this is a very quiet kid, very shy. I've, I've had it described to me as he's very laid back, man of few words. We were joking about if you look at Chet's interview with the prospect, with the thing that you sent me, it was like a. 15 minute read Shaden's was like three minutes he just doesn't say a whole lot so he's quiet he doesn't do anything when he's there and then when he goes to dream city he has full like carte blanche of having the ball and stuff and his like whole demeanor changed so I'm just kind of thinking the accountability is a word that I keep bringing back to you because if you watch him in like Canada his accountability to his teammates seems totally different and then when he was the star on the team his body language and his motor totally changed because I wonder if his accountability changed. I mean, it, when you become the star, it usually does, right? And this is my concern. My concern with Sharp is he got to be the number one player in his class by just boss hogging the ball, putting up a ton of shots, and just, you know, like being the man, basically. And I think if I was him, I would say, well, then this is clearly the way I should play, right? Like, if what are we incentivizing here? Does he see himself as... I'm the top dog, number one player in my class. I'm a star. I'm going to come in and get my shot no matter what. Or does he see himself as I'm a guy who can fit into a system and play multiple roles? I think that mindset is going to be huge for him at the next level one way or the other. And I just wonder if he's being incentivized to be a shot-creating, ball-dominant player. Of course he's being incentivized. And another thing that I was thinking too is like whenever you're changing, if you think about somebody that is changing schools a lot, you're already kind of a quiet person. People, and the reality here too is like people are, I saw a tweet where like a, an executive was just like going off on him for not playing and being like, uh, you know, just really a lot of anger. I've, I've sensed a lot of just kind of frustration at him. He isn't making these decisions. This, this is sort of the controversy is that like he didn't choose to not play Kentucky. I don't know what he would have chosen on his own, but the guy who has been running the show for him, and this is something you can go read about, basically told Cal that he was coming back. And, and a lot of people are like, and there was like mis, misleading information out there about that. And people are taking that out on Shaden a lot. Now, whether or not Shaden would have, you, you're smiling, I know, but you can read into that how you want. But the, the other thing about like the playmaking and stuff, the counter to it, if you wanted to play devil's advocate, is this is new to him. 
you know, he he is he's early on in this. He got it. We always joke about like once you get a taste of the heliocentric thing, it's hard to it's the Caesar, you know, giving the keys back after he after he was seated all the power. It's like once you get a taste of that power, it's hard to go back. Hard to fly coach after been in first class. Yes. Hard to go back to coach. And that's what we were robbed of. We were rob- if he had played a year at Kentucky, it it would have been developmentally in his best interest to do that. Like he would have come out of the out of Kentucky's program. I I, I think most people would. Do, this isn't me as a Kentucky guy saying this. Like it is, but it isn't. Like most people agree, Cal can coach defense really really well. Guys that come to Kentucky are ready to defend when they leave. Um, that's what he missed out on. So I guess you kind of figure where would his draft spot have been if he had come? I don't know. Do you do you think in a year of college we would have really seen enough stressors on his like you were talking about getting off the ball whenever he's driving do you what do you think he would have been like in college just like speculating at a high major level I mean I think that is the question that's why there's such a range of outcomes and I gotta say first off hey you remember that meme corn cobbed like you know what that is corn cobbed no yeah (laughs) well it was like the meme was the google is funny it's like I have not been owned. I have not been owned as I melt into a corn cob. And that's kind of what Cal spent the last three months getting corn cobs. Right. Like, I have not been owned. Sharps didn't play basketball. Cal was the very last person in the entire world to acknowledge that he was not going to play at Kentucky. So I just thought that was hilarious. And I think what you're in the question is really good question. And this is where I come back to a sharp with these range of outcomes. Because I'm comparing sharp to, for example, there's a guy named Jaden Hardy. So he was a top five player in last year's high school class. He's a kind of a similar player, uh, a score first ball dominant shooting guard. He went to the G League Ignite and really struggled last year instead of not playing. And he went from a guy being seen as a top five pick to now he'll probably go in the 20s. And I think that's probably why Sharp didn't play this year. I think Sharp's people were like, we don't have that much to gain in terms of perception, but we have a lot to lose. If he comes into this draft as number one overall player, Shade and Sharp, he's not going to fall too far because the last thing we saw of him was so good. If he goes to Kentucky for three months, really struggles playing off the ball, doesn't have it enough, has a hard time being like fitting into a team half through the season, all of a sudden he could drop you know, 10, 15 spots easily. Remember Hamadou Diallo? That's another Kentucky player who came in half the year and fell out of the first round. And I think that's the concern with Sharp is like he could have kept played himself into the top 10, but it just easily could have put himself way out of it if he had played. So now we're just kind of guessing. Yeah, the difference is here. I mean, I really do legitimately think that he is a shot-making talent. Like he has great balance and touch. He has great elevation. We talked about his touch all over the floor. He can like break really hard to get to his shot. I know people talk about him being like a roasty with his first step guy because he's so explosive vertically. I see him as more of a like start stop creator because he's going to be really strong. Like we said, the Beal and the footwork and the Booker and things like that. Like that's the kind of player he likes to play like. I don't usually like brag like this, but I, I have watched everything available, I would say. Like um, nearly everything if it's out there. I even watched some all-star games from back in the day. I really don't think he would have struggled in the college game, maybe his ability to get off the ball, like we were talking about his ability to pass and things like that. But that's the thing, man, is that this, I think is the question for sharp. The talent is obviously sky high. It's about the person we're talking about a McLaren of an athlete. Like we're talking about a top level player, but it's like, who's behind the wheel. Is it a teenager? 
or is it Mario Andretti? Okay, see, I think this is an important point. You watch him, I think, like, yes, he does have a crazy vertical, but I don't necessarily see him as, like, this elite... I think people kind of have this idea in their head, oh, this is, like, an elite athlete. Like, in my mind, when I think elite athlete at two-guard position, I think Anthony Edwards... And I don't see him as an Anthony Edwards level athlete. What specific part of athleticism, though? I mean, the ability to get to your spots at a super, super fast rate with a ton of size. Like Sharp can get up, but I took, I saw him taking a lot of contested shots. Whereas when I watched Anthony Edwards the first time, it was like this is the best athlete on the floor. These guys cannot stay in front of him. He can do whatever he wants at any time. And that's my concern is I think Sharp plays a lot like Anthony Edwards. He does. But I don't think he has the same level of overwhelming athletic dominance. Even though he does have like a 45-inch vertical, I don't really see him like necessarily showing that in the games, like flying around the court, being the best. It, to me, when I watched him, I didn't see a guy who was like clearly the best athlete in terms of getting into guys, blowing by guys. He seemed more like a – you use the, in the piece, you compare him to Gary Trent. And that's kind of more the level athlete I shot. But I think athletically, too, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Like, he's a good athlete. He's not going to be, like, overwhelmed with the next level. But I'm not sure he can dominate purely on athletic ability like Ant-Man can. No, I mean, Ant is also on it. There are, like, tears to this. Like, he's very I, – I do think Shaden is a good athlete. I think Motor can kind of mask some of it a little bit. He's not as twitchy powerful as – as uh, Anthony Edwards, but I do think that he his dribble separation is pretty good. I, I think that they're they're a, they're an interesting kind of comparison because, and I make this point in the video that when I watched Edwards, I had a lot of the same questions. I was like, I was like, obviously incredible talent. Like there was no, I mean, you don't you don't need to be a great evaluator to even see that. And like he's obviously can get to his shot whenever he wants, can power up over people. Um, the, the question is just going to be his motor to get better because guys like him, like DeMar DeRozan is another guy who came into the league with like similar questions. We're like, we know you can get to your shot. We know, you know, you're this type of athlete. You're this kind of like strength skill combo thing. I think, you know, I think Shaden's a way better shooter than Edwards or DeRozan. I really think that's the case. Um, because he, he was taking tough threes and still shooting in the mid thirties throughout. I just think, uh, that's going to be the question for him. It, his ability to get better at those things is going to really be driven by how obsessive of a worker he is, in my opinion. That makes sense. And I think, look, I think after the break, we can kind of get into the destinations that make the most sense for him and where he fits into the lottery. Yes. After we come back, we'll talk about that. Maybe a little more about the players that are going to be available, what the teams might do, things like that. Uh, after the break. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack. Or 
as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. So Sharp is a player... If you're outside of the top three, I've sensed a lot of excitement from from fans of teams who are drafting in that like four to eight, maybe even four to. I, I don't think he'll slip. How far do you think he could potentially slip in this draft? It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I mean, I don't think out of the top ten, but there's just such a range, and that so much depends on the individual front offices evaluating him. Yeah, it's hard to get a good feel for that. Well, this is a good segue to you texted me very excitedly and said you have a comp for Shaden Sharp, and I think oh, this man. is this is where. And I didn't guess who it was. Can I can I guess now, or do you want us to? Or, well, okay. Here's what I'm thinking. When I okay. watched him play, I was like, okay, six six two guard, really good athlete, really good creator, one on one player, doesn't move off the ball too much, not really much of a passer, can go deep in his bag get a shot at any time, Very good but not great athlete. That, those, that was in my head for this comp. This feels insulting, but I was wondering even if you were going to like disposition too, if you were factoring that in. Or were you thinking Jeremy Lamb? Is that who you were thinking of? I would say uh, Nick Young. Oh, Nick. Oh, no. He's, he's a different type of player than Nick Young, I think. Is he? I don't know. I mean, Nick Young was a one-on-one monster. He'd get a shot whenever he wanted. He was more of a like dribble, like humiliate you, roast you. And I don't think he's, I think, I really do legitimately think Shaden is a better shooting prospect than him. I think he's a legitimate shooting prospect. I think you're right about Gary Trent. I think you're right when you reference me. Yeah. So, really indirectly, I'm saying I'm right. Uh, they're, they're similar body types, like that thick. He's just like a heavier build, like he's got more of a power element to his game. But, Let's talk about fit. What would be the best destination for him, in your opinion, in this in this range, based on what we know about him? So you have the top three, been talked to death, as you kind of talked about. And then four, five, six, you have Sacramento, Detroit, Indiana. To me, with Sharp, and I think, I would say like Detroit, and I think Detroit fits for a lot of players. I think this is kind of where you get into why Cade Cunningham is such a good prospect to build around. Because Cade is pretty unselfish, he dominates the ball, but doesn't take a million shots, a very good passer, spreads the floor. It just feels like a lot of different kinds of players would make sense next to Cade. And you could kind of see Sharp in that mold too. They have a very big backcourt. And you could just think Cade could get this guy a lot of shots pretty easily. Oh, it seems like you your tone about Cade Cunningham is uh, shockingly positive compared to the past. I mean, I, I'm just I'm just pointing that out. Well, I mean, I think that that is the value of him is you start building in terms of the way he can build around him. Purely hypothetical, right? But you don't believe that, you know, right? Because you were. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just not letting you go. Well, he's no Franz Wagner, but that's a whole different conversation. Right. Anyway, uh, yeah, Kate is like a. I always say motherboard. Like he's he's the type of pe- like you can plug pieces into him, he, and he makes them make sense. Uh, him next to Shaden, I think the key the key detail here is that Shaden is. I I think in terms of him as a person, him as a player. He where he lands is going to be very very important because like some players can it doesn't necessarily matter as much because they're so actualized as what they are and they're ready to contribute in all these different ways. If he gets with another like primary playmaker like Cade, I think that it would enable him to be himself and not put too much pressure on him. You know, like I, I think that he would get a diet of shots. It's kind of the it's kind of the Michael Porter Jr. Jokic thing, not necessarily to that level of like talents, but like. It definitely, I think, would help him out if he could play with another playmaker like that. Yeah, and I mean, I think all these spots, and that's what all these teams are going to have to figure out. So Sacramento at four is De'Aaron Fox. Indiana at six has Tyrese Halliburton. I would think probably if you get to seven or eight, we have uh, Portland at seven, New Orleans at eight. That's where like the expectations of winning are so much higher. I think it's that probably not be the best spot for him just because those teams are trying to win immediately. There's not really time to bring a younger player along. I mean, Sharp's the biggest thing he's got to play. I think that gets like forgotten sometimes. It was that whole stuff with like Golden State and like James Wiseman. Oh, this would be a great spot for him. Learn from Draymond Green. It's like you learn by playing. If your te- the team is so good that they don't have time to develop you. It's not a great spot for you, I don't think, more often than not. Yeah, winning winning is one is um quote unquote an enemy of that if like they don't have time to give you like the uh I always use like the X Men, the danger room. If you ever watch X Men, how they have that room where they can go in. The X Men had this room called the Danger Room where they would go in and it was it would simulate combat and stuff like that and it was very realistic. But some bad teams can kind of do that. I uh, can't believe you don't know that reference. Good God. I've seen uh, the movies. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that. This is from mainly from the cartoon, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but anyway, he needs that. He needs like reps where he can get out there and like the consequences aren't. But the other thing is like too many rookies can also, you can only develop so many rookies at once. So I, I think that it's going to be like uh, Indiana, unless they make some kind of move with Brogdon, like you're right, like Halliburton would be interesting with him. Um, I don't think that he would be a good fit for Portland. Like Portland's, like we've talked about, Portland has an agenda of wanting to, you know, satisfy Dame in the in the short term. I don't really even know. I was going to ask you: Is there even a move quickly here? Like, is there even a short term move that Portland could make to become a factor in the West? I think you trade your pick. I think yeah. the Jeremy Grant one. I think that's the one that jumps out. If yeah. you got Jeremy Grant to Portland for that number seven pick, yeah, definitely. So uh, if we, I think the Pistons, like we said, and the one, the big hinging thing here is like, how do the Kings look at Ivy? Because Ivy has become sort of the implied pick. I think at four, most people think that he's a guy that has high upside. Um, what do you think about the Ivy Fox dynamic? Should they move the pick? Should what if the Kings go for Sharp? Because this is a superstar play. They don't really. I won't say they don't get chances to get superstars because they do, <laughs> but uh, not to hammer that. But what do you what do you think the Kings should do at four? That's where it gets tough. And then I just wonder because of the way the lottery odds have changed, and it's so hard to get up into the top four. That's like it, to me. It's like they're ta- there's been a lot of talk. Okay, KOC mentioned it. I think in one of his pieces how Sacramento at four is like trying to get a win now player and they move back in the draft. And it's like, yeah, I get that. 
But man, you don't get many shots at the top four. Like you don't get many shots to take a guy who you think can be a star. And I think that is kind of the, that is really the question hanging over the middle of the draft. So after the three bigs, the top three guys, and maybe even a guy get into the top three. And it's like Jade and Ivy and Shade and Sharp. Do you believe these guys have star potential? And if they do, do you just have to take them? That, I think that is kind of the question for all those teams in the middle. Because you just never know when you're going to get this high again. It's very, very hard. You look at like Detroit. They were the worst team in the league most of the year. And they had the number five pick. So it's very possible they don't even get to, as to five again. They could be at seven or eight really quickly, right? And then you're never getting a chance to this kind of talent. Who do you value? I, th- I think the Sharp Ivy kind of question is interesting because they have different differing paths to get to. Like I, I think that like Ivy's a better passer at this point. Obviously, he's a little older. Also, should note, but he's faster. He's rangier. He's more of a like a laterally flexible kind of player. Like I, I believe in him as a defender more than I do Sharp. Um, I, 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 the shooting with Sharp, I think, is a lot stronger. Ivy got better from years one to two. Um, I, I think he went up like a whole ten percent on more attempts this past year. What do you What do you think about measuring those two guys, like the, their paths? Who do you think is a more surefire bet to become a good NBA player? It's a great question. I, mean, I think Ivy is such an interesting prospect because I think he sits at a couple big like swing points in terms of how we evaluate players. I think number one. Five years ago, the big question about Ivy would be, is he a point guard or a shooting guard, right? That, that would kind of be the way everyone looks at it. And I still think that's an important question, but I feel like that gets thrown away so quickly now. People like, positionless basketball, who cares? I still think that kind of matters, though. And I think that there's so much into the Ivy discussion is how much can he, and I think it's, I guess it's less point guard, shooting guard versus how much can he play on the ball versus off the ball? Like, what's the best role for Jaden Ivey? And I think that's what we're all still trying to figure out. Because, like, statistically, he's a very interesting player because I looked this up when I was doing my big piece on him. In the last, like, five year, like five or six years, there's only been a handful of guards who are shorter than six foot five, taken in the top ten, who average fewer than five assists per game. Mm. And that's kind of the, wor- the world Ivy's living in. Do you remember that list off the top of your head? Yeah, I have it right here. So it's uh, it's Anthony Edwards, Kobe White, Jalen Green, and then Jalen Suggs. Mm. And I think that's the question for me because everyone's been given Ivy the Ja Morant comparison. That's like the obvious comparison. Except Ja Morant was like averaging nine assists a game in college. Ja was an incredible creator, like in terms of like passing, like I talk about passing vocabulary, like Ja was like an incredible pace manipulator for not being a great shooter at the college level. You knew like, okay, when I draft Ja Morant, he's my offense. You knew from day one, you give him the keys, you just go. And I just don't know you can do that with Ivy right now. Yeah, and I think in that St. Peter's game, you don't try to, you don't try to read too much into one game, but I think his ability to dictate pace is going to be is going to be the question for him because with Morant we knew the other stuff was in in place where we were like we know like you said we know is he going to be my offense at the time I wasn't sure about him score like the scoring part of that but we knew the passing part of that we've talked a lot about how for an athletic guard he is like on another level in terms of like combination athleticism playmaking and for green if you I guess comparing I don't know I can't remember if you did this in the piece but like comparing those other guys like I guess you're betting on the tools 
the plus and the minuses here. For like Green, we were like, okay, crazy shot creator. We believe in that. Uh, Suggs, we know defensive upside is pretty high. Kobe White was a little bit more of a what would we say? I mean, what would we say? What was like the plus plus skill going into the draft that people thought Kobe White was going to bring immediately? Was it just the scoring, speed, and speed and passing and scoring? Yeah, because he was playing for UNC and they're pushing the ball all the time. He's running the yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's an interesting kind of question there. I mean, to answer your question about like, does being a point guard or a two guard matter? You know, over time we've like evo- we've evolved to the point where initiators come from every spot I think we've kind of let go of this idea that like the point guard needs to be the central point of the offense but it's interesting to see the two offenses that were like the Celtics have survived in the playoffs because they were able to get enough uh initiation from like Tatum evolved we saw it from like Marcus Smart kind of came into his own a little bit more this year and became dependable that's the question with Ivy is like do we think I don't know that I don't know about like handing him the keys like I, I don't know if I believe enough in the shooting I don't know if I believe enough in the passing, even though I do think he's a good passer, not great. His ability to kind of evolve into somebody that is capable of like taking some reps on the ball. I maybe weirdly believe in him a little more than I do Shaden in that sense. What do you think about that? It's tough because I think what you the key point you were hitting on was like you're talking about the St. Peter's game is like controlling tempo and pace. What worries me is he didn't have to do that in college very much. And so much, you tell him, okay, let's put him on the ball. It's not necessarily passing per se. Obviously, passing is huge, but it's like the ability to think the game at a really high level and the mental responsibilities that come with that. Whereas I felt like at Purdue, Ivy was free to like come on and off the ball, get his shots up, make the next play, but he wasn't having to be like, okay, let's make sure Zach Eady gets a touch in the block. Let's make sure that all my... Uh, Stefanovic is getting his shots off screens. He wasn't having to control the game. That's a very hard thing to learn. And then it's like, okay, now, and here's where I get really concerned. Okay, now we're playing him off the ball. So it jumped out to me, that list of guys I was talking about, of guys who had to, who weren't like point guards, but weren't like super tall, and were had to play, had kind of combo guard roles. They all took a ton of threes early in their NBA career. So as a rookie, Anthony Edwards took seven threes a game. Kobe White took six threes a game. Jalen Green took seven threes a game. And then Jalen Suggs only took four, but he shot like 20% from three. His shot abandoned him, and it became very hard to play him off the ball in Orlando. That's my concern with Jaden Mucks everything else up. Yeah, he's improved as a shooter, but he still only shot 75% from the free throw line as a sophomore. And for as much as his three-point shot improves, if the free throw shot doesn't improve with that, you wonder how real it really is. And my concern with Ivy is if you draft him, you're going to be putting a lot of pressure on him as a shooter. I'm not sure how that's really going to go. So you seem pretty skeptical right now is what kind of what like, weighing weighing the positives versus the negatives. You, I'm getting the vibe that you kind of feel. Let me just ask you straight up. I mean, who would you take, Sharp or Ivy? I would take... I would take Ivy. You said SH. You literally changed your mind right before you no, said No, I it. think that's more because I'm just not sure. I, I look at Sharp, and I comp- we'll get into this in the next pod probably. You have guys like Benedict Matherin, AJ Griffin, some of the other wings. I'm not sure Sharp's ceiling is that much higher than those guys, and I feel a lot more comfortable with their floors. Whereas Ivy, I think, does have a really, really high ceiling. I think with Ivy, you're hoping... 
you're kind of hoping for a Donovan Mitchell. I think he's the he's what everyone hopes Ivy becomes in terms of a guy who was a combo guard who slowly developed more point guard skills over time in a good system. So I think like if I was Detroit at five, I would have no problem taking Ivy because of the way Cade, because like because Cade can play on or off the ball, because Cade can control the game, because Cade can space the floor. I think that's what makes Ivy such an interesting fit with Cade. But if I'm a team like Sacramento, where I've got a ball-dominant point guard who doesn't space the floor, where I've got a big-time post scorer who doesn't space the floor, now I'm throwing right. Jaden Ivy in the mix there. And Davion, too. Yeah, Davion, yeah. another guy who needs to go to the basket. There's just not a lot of space on the floor for Jaden Ivy. I could see that being a problem really fast. Yeah, and that that is an interesting thing because those we're just two a couple of podcasters sitting here like doing that calculus, which seems pretty simple. Like, I mean, I, I think in today's game, I mean, if you're playing more than two shoot non shooters, it's a pretty special situation. Like you were talking about three point percentage, spot up three point percentage for Ivy. 30.2 percent um it just makes you think if teams are going to be like kind of pointing you know tapping the the glass and be like hey we we see what's going on here you guys want to move that pick um I, ivy would be a weird fit i don't know weighing sharp situation i think i want to just touch on his ceiling really quick before we go you hit it today's nba and this is something that i, I was thinking about well, two things two things mental mental motor to grow in the game you know, he improved a lot during that COVID year and got better. I mean, he exploded. He just exploded and got a lot better. Things clicked for him. Where he goes to the next step, I think your your sort of like openness to like buying into accountability is really critical because if you watch the two teams that are in the finals right now, both have cultures of accountability that players buy into. And it's like, how do you build that? Do you build you're gonna have to go to a situation where like the organization is so good, but like the Celtics and, and the Warriors both have that. Sharp's ability to kind of get to his ceiling is going to depend on a lot of things going right. If everything goes right, based on what I've kind of researched on him, I see him as probably like a third star, like on a good team. You know, I don't know that I would feel comfortable being like, this is our guy. Um, I think if you're, if you have something going and you want to bring him along slowly, definitely think he's, he's worth the risk because uh, I think he's really talented as a finisher um, as a spot up player, as a like spot up one dribble shoot kind of player, um, I think I do believe in those things and him doing those things efficiently at the next level. Well, I guess let's flip the question then. So, like, where do you see his ceiling as as comparable players, and where would you have him relative to Ivy? I had a hard time coming up with like a direct one to one comp, like in terms of like measuring him against Ivy. You, you. Another thing we failed to mention too is like the reports on Ivy are that like he. Is, is like I'm the man like that's kind of how he's wired like so him and Fox immediately seems like that would be a problem uh the comps I think DeRozan is is an interesting developmental comp just I think you can just go down and look the line and look at guy we had conversations like this about like Edwards is similar too. like his ability to develop that like when when to pass the ball when to use his downhill gravity to uh to help his teammates and just not not having so much tunnel vision i think he can become a good enough team defender i don't know that he's going to be a lockdown perimeter type defender um but all those things considered that that's the type of play you're talking about levine derozan ant man and we're not talking necessarily ceilings but 
that's that's the path that he's on to get better in my opinion yeah and i think that's what makes it tough i think that's a big part of the evaluation too is i just feel like with levine and ant-man these are guys who really developed their feel in the nba derozan too i mean derozan improved as much as any player oh, yeah. in the last generation in terms of where he came into the league out of usc where he is now in his early 30s and i just think for sure like levine and ant-man when I watched them as college freshmen, it was like these guys were on a whole oh, yeah. other level athletically. Like it was just like it jumped off the screen. This guy is just an absolute. It was like a moment. I remember watching Zach Levine as a freshman. You know, in Usual Suspects, where the guy drops the coffee cup and he's like, his mind is so blown, he can't even hold the cup. <laughs> that was me when I watched the HB Beal high school footage for Sharp. I dropped the cup. <laughs> okay. So I had the moment with Levine. It was like there's this one guy, I can't remember what it was anymore, but there's one game where he has like two 360, like 360 windmill dunks and like a 10 minute stretch and like two pull up threes. And I'm like, this guy is an absolute freak athlete, next level. I'm just not sure Sharp is that level athlete. And I just think that is where Levine and Edwards had so much margin for error. Like Levine and Edwards came into the NBA like we're the best athletes almost in the entire league from day one. And that just gives you so many like pathways to improve. When like I can come in and just blow by people at will basically. I'm not sure Sharp can, is at that level. And I wonder if that, how much that holds him back ultimately because he does have to improve. I think he... It'll be more important for him to improve his feel than it was for Levine and Ant-Man because those guys could just straight up dominate athletically. And I think that's probably the evaluation piece where it's going to be very critical for how teams look at Sharp. Yeah, I think Westbrook is another one you could throw in there because if you have developmental questions, it's about like staying on the floor to develop them because if you can't stay on the floor, you're penalizing your team. And that's the thing. Like Levine and, and Ant, you're right. Twitchy, powerful athletes that like are... A lot of people compare Jalen Green to Levine. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Scores that need to figure out how to play, use their gravity. Um, and I, th I think Levine had more playmaking instincts even. Um, but that's the question for Sharp. And like you, you're right. And I'm, and I'm not trying to argue that he is the same type of athlete. He's not. Like I, I, definitely, I saw people saying first step. I was like, I'm not seeing that. He plays more upright. He's like a power. I think he's going to develop into sort of like a power pace ball handler. I really do think so. Yeah, using his size to create space for himself, basically. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like start, stop. Yeah. You know, because if you watch him, he he that's where he has the most success. And I do think that like at top speed, he is very athletic. He just doesn't get from zero to 60. I don't know. How do you define twitch? Like you hear people talk. What's the difference? People who don't follow the draft, what do we mean when we say twitch in your opinion? When I when I think twitch, I think like I think the really what we just talked about. I think Levine and Edwards, when you watch them and it's like this guy, the guy in, the guy guarding him cannot stay in front of him if he's playing up on him. He's just that fast in his one cut, his first step. I think first step. And I think I remember talking to someone when the Wolves Ant-Man's first year and they were telling they were talking about how like Chris Paul was talking to them. It was like, I can't believe this guy's first step. There's nobody in the NBA who can stay in front of Anthony. I mean, this is freaking ridiculous. And when I think Twitch, that's what I think of generally. Yeah, yeah. I, I always think you you ever play that like uh, hand hand smack game where like one person has their hand behind their back and the other person has their hands in front of them, and you have to see if you can smack the hands. Yeah, yeah. Like people people who are good at that game, that's Twitch, like fast movements. Like, and, but uh, Edward, like Sharp isn't that type of player, but he's the type like at at top speed, 
he's just he's fast and and can jump high and things like that but but that's kind of the distinction that we're making here long wingspan too 611 i should say got to get that in there yeah and what we're talking about in terms of okay it's like evaluating him and then evaluating the context of where he's been given that he didn't play in college i think this is where you're going to see a lot of nba teams are moving this direction already is that's why so many in the last couple of years it's kind of like this hidden story around the league is these guys who are high school evaluators are being hired by NBA teams to scout because it's more and more you've got to be able to catch these guys early. You're not, you're not going to be sure if they go to college. right? Next year, overtime elite could have like two or three top 10 picks. And right. so you're going to have to be evaluating these overtime elite guys based purely off watching their film with no statistical context, no broader awareness of like where they fit in because it's such a brand new thing. The Ignite guys are the same way too a little bit still. There's not a lot of historical comparisons to make. So it's like pure about, it's becoming more and more like just pure evaluation. It's like how, if you just watch a guy on an island and you're an NBA, it's like you've got to be able to know what matters and what doesn't. And it's like that's becoming pure evaluation A and then developing them once they're there. And it's just, this is not going to be like long story short, this shade and sharp conversation is going to be a conversation we have a lot in the next couple of years. And that's the other thing too, is that he hasn't played in like a year. So a lot of, even the things that's the caveat too, is like the, the things we're evaluating are old. He is older now. So it's like, he, who knows where he is as a player? Who knows how he's been playing? And that, that's Intel too, that I got that he really was not looking to play five on five with his teammates at Kentucky. Um, just has been weirdly resistant to it. I don't know what that's about. That's a whole other kind of social thing. But the high school sample matters. And I, I think that like getting ready and like the more you can train yourself to get into that mindset of like accountability, taking a role that maybe isn't as opposed to playing at a dream city and being ball dominant and, you know, not having to play defense all the time. That's the value of going to like a Montverde. And like the pattern that we're seeing is that like a lot more high school – a lot more guys are coming into the league ready to defend. And I was asking a college coach about like, you know, what are the programs that, that are like Cade and Scotty are two Montverde guys. Like there's benefit of going to these programs early whenever you can. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating to do, man. I, I love talking about evaluating guys uh, with you, Charks. I, I, uh, it was interesting to hear your perspective on that. Uh, anything else you want to add on, on Sharp? I was just going to say, you got a, Kyle's got a video coming out real soon. He's dug deep into the crates. You got to watch it. And he kind of, he was saying, he was sending me videos with like 500 views on YouTube. Like, you got to watch it. It's like the two of us and these kids' families are the only ones watching these videos. It 100% <laughs> was a family member recording it. And what I, what I, one of my favorite things to do is uh, I enjoy the, it's almost, it's almost like a true crime community. I enjoy getting into like weird video places of the internet where, I know that sounds bad, but, uh, I enjoy trying to go and find footage that is like mislabeled. I remember like Darius Garland was another case of this when he only played like four games yeah. in college. It was like, what are we going to watch? Well, it turned out Brentwood Academy had this whole YouTube channel where they didn't label their videos. And I went on there and it was like no one had watched them. So stuff, stuff like that is really fun. I don't know, just to go find because it's all about context, you know? Because if we had just judged that small context, we would come away being like Shaden 100% is lazy. He 100% is selfish. And that other video showed that maybe that's not necessarily the case. And you're making a bet on which is it. What is he going to be? Who is he going to be? And that's the interesting part of this. Yeah, low low, low video views. That's a good sign. If you find a video with low, a low video count, you know you got something. 
Yeah, it's all about finding the edge, man. It's just like a uh, poker or whatever. Anyway, you uh, have you are you uh, have you written anything? Or are you working on anything right now? Just just this pod. Just just, just listen to your takes. That's just the only pods. Work I do these days. And you and you can tell, man. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Check that video out. Check all the other kind of. We're gonna have draft and finals coverage coming up. And uh, tweet us up. And if there's anybody or anything you want to hear about, let us know. And uh, Charks, it was uh, really good to see you, buddy. Yeah, it was fun. And we'll be back. Probably at least probably one or two more pods for the draft. Go a little deeper into the lottery. Some of our favorite players that we haven't got a chance to talk about yet. We'll get into 100%. all that. Weeks go on. All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. Later. All right. Shout out Hornet Leg. Yes, this this podcast was produced by Hornet Leg. I definitely want to get that in. Chris Sutton, the legend. Hornet Leg. <laughs> <laughs>